And this is after this particular service. So if you've never had a meal with us, I would like to invite you to have your first lunch with us. I'll be there. Some of our welcoming team members will be there. So we'd love to see you there. Secondly, our anniversary service is coming up. We're turning 25 years old and just in a couple of weeks. It's amazing. And it'll be a great Sunday. We'll have lunch. We'll, we're going to have these uh, commemorative gifts that we are going to hand out, some special programming things. So I really encourage you to be there and uh, look forward to that day. So, um, you know, I think all of us can perhaps relate to a moment in our lives when someone has treated us poorly, when we weren't necessarily doing anything wrong per se. In fact, maybe we're doing something um, commendable but someone uh, misunderstands uh, us, uh, someone judges us, someone attacks us, and to the point where we're deeply pained by it, and uh, we're not quite sure what to do about it, per se. Um, you know, I don't know about you, I grew up in a Korean church, um, and um, in about high school, I was liberated, and I was able to go to church on my own, the Arcadia First Presbyterian Church, it's a, just a big non-Korean church, per se. Uh, and then my senior year, though, in high school, my mom asked me if I could join them at their ch- Korean church. It was a small uh, Methodist church in Monterey Park. She asked me if I can join her that day. They've been going there for about a year, so I said, okay, I, I will visit your church for one Sunday. So I arrived in uh, this um, Methodist church in Monterey Park, a Korean church, and my mom says, um, can you go into this particular space? You know, my Korean wasn't very good, so if I went into the Korean service, I wouldn't be able to understand anyway. So they said, can you come into this particular space? Uh, it's where the kids are. So I said, okay, uh, I'm visiting my mom and my dad at their new church, and I will um, go wherever they want me to go. So I walked into this room, and there was a, a, a table with a lot, just a bunch of kids uh, sitting around the table, and there was one adult there, a teacher. And when I walked in, uh, the teacher looked at me, looked at the kids, and she said this. Um, Here, kids, this is your new teacher from now on. And so as a senior in high school, I became the children's director of a small Methodist church, Korean church in Monterey Park, and I don't know if that's how other immigrant churches recruit teachers, but that's how I was recruited. And so trying to make the best of things, I, and I hadn't really worked with kids before, but I thought, you know, I'll give it a shot. So I would go every Sunday, and, and this group of kids, that, and I tried my best to, to let them enjoy themselves and to teach them something. Uh, and one day I decided, you know what, I, I'm just going to be adventurous. I'm going to take these kids on a field trip. And so I um, borrowed a church van, and it has, you know, one of these church vans with the sign, this Korean sign on the side. And so I, I, I was determined to take our kids on a field trip. I forgot where, I don't remember where we went, I, but just, just knowing me, it was probably somewhere like ambitious, maybe, you know, we went to like um, um, Magic Mountain or some place like that. That sounds like something I would do. Uh, so I drove a group, a van full of kids to wherever we were going, and on the way home is what I remember. So I have a a van full of kids. Um, As a high school boy, driving a van that I had, 
you know, I'm not used to driving, but I stopped at a, um, a red light, and uh, the car behind me began just honking, and the person rolled down the window and was just yelling obscenities at me. And I wasn't quite sure why, but I, I, I began to roll down the window, and I was about to just, you know, throw down, you know, not physically, of course, but with the words, I was going to yell back, and then I looked around, I looked back, and I realized I had a, a van full of kids. I can cuss out a, a random car with kids in the back, so I, I, I didn't know what to do, so I rolled the window back up, pretended like I'm not listening to anything, and then I drove off, and that was the end of that. But you know what bothered me? I, you know, I, here I was, a high school boy, you know, doing this magnanimous thing, taking care of a group of kids, driving them to wherever I was driving them to and back, and, and I don't know if I had maybe cut off this car. Uh, I, I don't know if I had, you know, came close to crashing, to that, crashing into that car. I wouldn't be surprised. I was a high school boy driving a van that I'd never driven before. But hey, that's beside the point, right? It had a church sign, although they may not have been able to read it because it was in Korean, but still. Uh, you know, they should have been more gracious to us, uh, to me, and, you know, like these thoughts began to like, oh, how dare they? Oh, I hope they get a ticket. You know, oh, you know, you know, whatever these thoughts came into my mind. And, um, and that just bothered me for a little while. I don't know about you, but I think each one of us have moments in our lives where we feel like we were innocent. We were, in fact, we were trying to do good. But whether it be because of a misunderstanding uh, a frustration or pain in the other person's part, uh, or just vindictiveness or anger. Uh, we are accused, we are judged, and we are attacked uh, by people, and there, there seems to be no purpose behind it, and we're frustrated, and we look at them, and we, and we think, you know, what's wrong with them? Um, we're toward the end of the book of Acts. And one of the protagonists that we've been introduced to is by, uh, a man by the name of Paul. He is a church planter, a missionary, a pastor. And he's in the last leg of his missionary journey. As if you recall, he's in, he went on three missionary journeys. And, and the third one, he went up to Jerusalem. And while in Jerusalem, he went into the temple in order to pray. And while he was praying... Uh, these Jews that came from Asia, and they'd been in, uh, the thorn on this, in, in his side from his first missionary journey. They were just out to get him. They came to Jerusalem. They incited a riot, and they were going to, uh, to just rip him apart, really. And he, from this point on, um, Paul is going to have an encounter, in fact, five encounters with five different uh, people of authority. And while he's having these painful encounters uh, we're going to discover a little bit about uh, how he deals with it and, and, and how he reacts to all of it. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. And this is a humongous passage. It's about five chapters. And I'm going to do a one uh, swoop uh, through it as, an, um, as we look at the five unwanted encounters and another quick 
run through it in divine appointments, five divine appointments. So we're going to look at the five unwanted encounters is what I'm calling it. The first encounter that he has is with a, name, a man by the name of Claudius. And uh, what he does is he is a commander. So Claudius, the commander, chapter 22, verse 24. So uh, Paul is in, is in the middle of a riot, basically. And the, the, the people around him are, are trying to, to get at him. And the tribune or the commander, the Roman commander, um, you know, grabs him, arrests him, basically, uh, to almost save him from himself and from the crowd. Verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now, we have to kind of understand the Roman world a little bit. Um, when we think about the Roman Empire, so Rome is in Italy, right? And they became such a powerful nation in that they began to colonize all the known world, basically. And so, uh, so there were just two basic categories of people. There were the Roman citizens, those who gained the privilege of, of being the insiders in this Roman Empire, and subjects of the Roman Empire. Okay, So Roman citizens and subjects of the Roman Empire. Now, when, uh, when a subject is arrested, one of the ways that you determine uh, what is going on is by basically torturing the subject. And so this is what uh, Claudius was attempting to do, that they should examine him, ex- uh, examine him by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now, verse 25, though, but when they had stretched Uh, him out for the whips. Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Uh Uh-oh. The the commander realized that that he had made a big mistake. He was an ethnic Jew, um, believing that he was merely a subject. So they grabbed him and they bound him and they were going to flog him And when uh, Paul revealed that he was a Roman citizen, he realized he had made a big mistake. Hey, I gained my citizenship through uh, lots of money. I had to bribe a lot of people. How did you become a citizen? And Paul said, I was born a citizen, realizing that he was even more of a Roman than he was, the commander was. Uh, One of the things that he did wrong was to arrest him, bound him without a formal charge. And so in verse 29, chapter 22, verse 29, so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tri- uh, tribune was also afraid. For he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Now, not being able to like whip Paul into a confession or so, he begins a formal investigation, and this leads to the next encounter that Paul has. So after Claudius, the commander, he has an encounter with Ananias, the chief priest. Chapter 22, verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Now, it's a little bit confusing, but let me try to explain how like the government kind of worked, right? It was the Roman Empire, so they went in and they uh, militarily uh, ruled uh, the area. But the Jews themselves had a, like a civil religious uh, government of their own. 
uh, the, the Jewish government uh, or the religious and political leaders of Israel, the Jewish Israel, uh, was called the Sanhedrin or the Seventy. And it was a mixture of those who were uh, religious and those who were politically savvy. The person who kind of oversaw the Sanhedrin or the council was the high priest. The high priest at this particular time was Ananias. So uh, it was obvious that the reason why there was such a riot about Paul within the temple was some sort of a religious, political issue. And so the commander called the council over and tried to uh, find out what was going on. Paul begins his defense by saying, you know, I was born, I was raised, and I had a good conscience uh, the whole time. And the uh, high priest ordered him, how dare you think that you have a high, uh, a good conscience? So he ordered someone to strike him in, on the face. There's a little bit of tit for that. And then when Paul realized that there were two factions within the council, there were the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees. It's kind of like the Republicans and the Democrats. And so uh, the, the Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection. The Sadducees did not. Now, Paul has been saying that Jesus died and was resurrected. So what Paul does is says, you know, I am here as a Pharisee, and I say that there's a resurrection. The Pharisees in the, uh, in the crowd say, okay, we, we're fine with that. The Sadducees says, uh, we're saying, no, no, that's not fine. And they, there's an internal debate. And Claudius realizes we're never going to get anywhere. So he brings him back to the barrack and trying to figure out what to do next. And in the middle of the night, the Jews uh, devise a plan. The next time he was going to come um, uh, to their kind of preview, they're going to assassinate him, and 40 people make a vow that they will not eat or drink until they uh, assassinate Paul. The news about this gets to Paul, and Paul uh, allows um, somehow relays that information to Claudius. And so now Claudius, um, having been the judge, and next uh, Ananias uh, had his um, attempt, and now what Claudius does is he denies Ananias the opportunity to assassinate Paul. Rather, he preempts him by sending Paul to the administrative city in the area called Caesarea. Caesarea, you can kind of think of it as like sacramental of, of the area. So he sends him in the middle of the night with an armed escort of 470 people to Caesarea. And in Caesarea, he now faces the regional governor, uh, the Roman governor at the time, whose name was Felix. And so this is the third encounter that Paul has with Felix, the government. A spokesperson for the Jews makes his case against Paul that Paul was guilty of religious and political treason. He, that he profaned the temple and stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world. Paul then gives his defense saying, hey, they can't prove any of this. It's not true. And the people who started all of this are the, Jew, uh, the Asian Jews. Where are they if they want to come and make their case? In chapter 24, verse 22 now. Now the government, governor, uh, Felix says this, um, but Felix having rather an accurate knowledge of the way, meaning uh, way is a euphemism for the Christian faith, so Felix had a working knowledge of the Christian faith, actually. Put them off saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. So he says, I'm not going to decide. I'm going to let Claudius Lysias come, and then I will decide. You know, it's interesting that he has a, a good working knowledge of the, of the Christian faith, um, and yet he doesn't decide on his own. In verse 25, 
It says that as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away f- uh, for the present. When I get an opportunity, I would summon you. So what Felix did was he would call Paul periodically from the cell and they would have conversations about faith and righteousness, uh, about uh, self-control and the coming judgment. They were having spiritual discussions. And you think that Felix would, would maybe come to his senses or at least make a judgment of some sort. But chap, uh, chapter 24, verse 26. At the same time, he had hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So, so he was bringing Paul in to have these spiritual conversations. But uh, there was a, sub, like, like a sublime uh, motivation and that he was hoping that Paul would eventually give him some bribe money. You know, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but, I, I, you know, when I was a um, long time ago a pastor, I actually accidentally bribed a police officer. So th- this is what happened. Okay, I, I just wanted to, like, just confess my sins to you right now. Um, so uh, about 27 years ago or so, I did an internship in a large megachurch in Korea. And my Korean wasn't that good. But for some reason, um, the church that I was interning at was in Seoul, which is the capital. They sent me to this other church about two hours south of the capital to preach. And for some odd reason, they kept asking me to come and preach. So I would make a regular trip going down, like going down about two hours to preach. And um, oftentimes I would take a bus. But on this particular day, I had a couple college students drive me. I think, I think they were college students that were young adults or very young young adults. And so uh, there were two people in the front seats, two young men in the front seats, um, driving their car. And, uh, you know, like, um, you know, I was in the back behind the driver. Like, in, in the Asian culture, that's the seat of honor, right? So I was sitting, you know, sitting back there as we were driving down. And as we were driving through the, uh, the freeway, the Korean freeway, um, a police officer flags us down and, we get pulled over. And, and they're talking, the police officer was talking to the driver, which is my, one of my college students. And um, the college student turns back and says, um, he, he, the, the officer says he's thirsty. I said, thirsty? Oh, do we have anything to drink? So, you know, do we have water? And, um, and, and my colleague said, no, no, I, that's not what he's saying. He, he, he wants money to buy something to drink. And I thought, wow, that's a really silly, kind of an inch odd request. I said, well, how much is drink? You know, and I took out my wallet and I took out like a, what it would be an equivalent of a $10 bill. And is this enough for a drink? And you know, the officer, okay. And it was evident to him that I didn't quite get what was going on. So I handed the $10 Korean bill to my college student driver, and, and the, my college student gave the bill to the police officer. And he let us go. And we just went off. And I thought, hey, we just you know, gave refreshment to the civil servant there. It took me months to realize, oh my gosh, I just bribed an officer using a college student as he was driving me to church to preach that morning. 
Okay, so confession. Okay, that was that. Um, so, so Felix was wanting bribe money, uh, but Paul would have none of that. And it says um, in verse 26, second half, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. But in the meantime, they were, they were conversing and having spiritual discussions. Verse 27, when, the, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by uh, Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So we can kind of tell what kind of a man Felix was. He was hoping for a bribe, and if he wasn't getting a bribe from Paul, he was getting political favors from the Jews, and possibly uh, the Jews may have been feeding him money. So Felix is now replaced, his term is over, and Festus, the government, uh, governor, takes over. So when Festus takes uh, his office, he first goes to Jerusalem, speaks to some of the Jewish leaders, hears their case about Paul, and then he goes down to Caesarea, and he begins to talk to, Caes- uh, to Paul. And in chapter 25, verse 8, Paul makes his formal defense. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. He's saying, I'm I'm innocent of the charges. Verse 9, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Now, the Jews had been telling Festus, bring him to Jerusalem, bring him to Jerusalem. This is where he needs to be. And so when Festus is um, questioning Paul, Paul makes his defense. Festus says, you know what? I think you should just go to Jerusalem. What Paul is realizing is that um, I, if I go to Jerusalem on transit even, there's a likelihood that I'll be assassinated. And also, even if I were to stay in Caesarea, I don't know if I'll ever get a, a fair trial. I've been here two years plus, and this is kind of hopeless. And so this is what happens. Verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 11. And this is amazing how, you know, what Paul says. If, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. He says, you know, if I'm guilty, I, I, I deserve to die. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. And, and here's his turning point. I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. So in this, uh, in this um, world that he's in, as a Roman citizen, he can say, I appeal to Caesar. I, I want to go up to the Supreme Court. I want to go to the highest authority there is for a Roman citizen, and that's Caesar. Uh, let him try me. It is interesting that in chapter 25, verse 25, Festus kind of sums up what he feels about Paul, and it is this. As he's telling another person, but I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But before Festus is able to send Paul up to uh, Caesar, uh, he receives a couple of guests, and they are King Agrippa and King Agrippa's sister, Bernice. Now, uh, they're important people. They're Jewish royalty. So these Roman um, governors ruled, but um, the... The Jews had their own king, per se. It's almost like a figurehead king, but nevertheless, an important figure. Uh, Agrippa and his sister Bernice had a very famous grandfather, Herod the Great. He was the one who killed all those little babies when Jesus was born. 
Agrippa and his sister Bernice had a father who was famous in Acts chapter 12. His, uh, their father Herod was the one who murdered James. And so to Herod, um, uh, to King Agrippa and Bernice, uh, Paul gives his defense in chapter 26 verse 2. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today and against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. He goes um, at length to talk about how um, he was also a violent persecutor of the, Jew, of, of the Christians and how he grew up as a uh, blameless Pharisee and that one day on the road to Damascus, uh, Christ met him and gave him a charge and from that moment on, he's been obedient to that particular charge. When all the arguments had been made, chapter 26, verse 30, then the king arose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So um, Agrippa and Bernice's uh, conclusion, this man is innocent and could have been set free. So here are five encounters with the commander, with the high priest, with two governors, and with the king. Vastly unfair what had happened to Paul. He spent years in jail, uh, falsely accused. I mean, if, it had, if he's accused of being a, a follower of Jesus Christ, Paul's saying that I, I'll gladly die for that, if that's the charge. But what you're accusing me of is, is incorrect. It's false. You know, life sometimes... Uh, deals us uh, a hand that is vastly unjust, where people accuse us, judge us, and attack us for things that, that we are truly innocent of, or at least, at least we think so. And it is during those moments and we feel helpless that we feel most pain. You know, um, there are oftentimes a uh, life situation that, that's, painful and you know I uh, refrain from telling stories that happen at Living Hope because I've been here 25 years and so many of you have been here almost the whole time so if I tell a story you go oh wait I think I know who that is so I have to dig into uh, times when I was not a as a pastor elsewhere or so but let me tell you a little story one time I was doing ministry and there was like an all-day training going on and it was happening in a room and I was participating in it and then during the break I came out and and um, there was a kind of a room situation. And I thought we had permission to use that room. And this gentleman at the church didn't think I had, you know, we had permission. And, and, um, and he questioned me. I thought I gave a reasonable answer. And then this was on a Saturday. I still remember this day. Uh, Saturday, broad daylight in the middle of the office. Um, I was on pastoral staff. Uh, this gentleman looked at me. He was not on pastoral staff. Looked at me and effed me out. You know, like f, like the f word. I, I was just stunned. I, I, I was stunned that this was happening. You know, I, I didn't know how to respond to it. I didn't know if I should res- like 
fight or try to defend myself. I was just so stunned at the moment that this was happening. Um, I just left. I just left. My bags and everything was in the room that the training was going. I just left it all and I just went home that day. And you know, this, um, I remember like that day and afterwards, like these dark thoughts would come into my mind. I, I, I don't know if you've ever had those dark thoughts, and maybe I'm the only one who thinks you know, this way, but I have a feeling all of us do at some point in time, especially when we feel like we're, we're so unjustly hurt. And like, all these thoughts about the character of that individual, how, what's wrong with this person? What, how, how dare he? How can he use such a word? At church, and you know, and I know that others have others heard it. And then these other thoughts: God's going to judge him. And I, I hope he gets into he, he gets a ticket on the way home or something worse. You know, with that character, with that temperament, oh, something bad's going to happen. Kind of like these, um, you know, wishful thinking. It is interesting how when we are in our minds unjustly, unfairly attacked or accused or, uh, accused or judged, what comes out of our hearts is vindictiveness and revenge and justice. What is interesting is when Paul was going through all of these years, far worse than what we have ever gone through for a far greater cause, far greater work, far more life and death uh, reasons, he seems to somehow hold a different heart. So he has these unwanted encounters, but it looks like, far as I look at it, he does not look at them as unwanted encounters, but he looks at it as what I would call divine appointments. Divine appointment. Let's quickly look back at the five people. He doesn't look at these people as people of authority who has power of life and death over him, who is listening to false accusations and such. But the first person that he thinks of, uh, looks at is Claudius, the civil servant. Claudius, and I, I call him the civil servant. It, it appears that Paul looked at Claudius, the commander, as not as someone insidious wanting to get Paul, but simply a person doing his job but his job happened to be arresting Paul. The second person is Ananias, the high priest, but um, what Paul sees is Ananias, the religious atheist. I call him the religious atheist. The person who had the, the highest religious office in the nation of Israel. And in this particular encounter that he has, um, Paul says, I have a good conscience, and Ananias says, strike him. And so uh, the servant strikes Paul in the face, and Paul lashes out, wait, that, wait, that's against the law, what you just did. And those around him say, how dare you accuse the high priest of that? And Paul responds by saying, um, in chapter 23, verse 5, I did not know that he was the high priest. Maybe he couldn't see, maybe he was far uh, 
I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for he, it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. But in a, in a way, so in a way, Paul is saying, you know what? The office of high priest I honor. But the man behind that priest right now, perhaps you should look at your own character. The third um, encounter with Paul deemed as more a divine appointment was Felix the troubled seeker. Felix was someone who was acquainted with the way his wife was a Jewish uh, individual. And then in verses tw- chapter 24, verses 24 and 25, we see that some, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment And so they would have these deep spiritual conversations, Felix and his wife. And because his wife is Jewish, and and she had been anticipating that one day the Messiah would come, and they would have these conversations that, is it perhaps Jesus Christ? And they talked about righteousness and self-control, and one day we're all going to be judged. And it's so stirred at one point in time, Felix was alarmed. It said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. I, I, I can't handle what's going on. The fourth encounter which Paul deemed as a divine appointment was that of Festus, and I call him the undecided spectator. We find out at the end that Festus realized that Paul was innocent, that he was innocent of all charges, but yet he allowed it to continue, not allowing him to be freed. And fifthly was Agrippa, the hesitant elder. Agrippa, the hesitant elder. The person who had the most knowledge about the Jewish uh, scriptures and the such should have been Agrippa, who was the, the so-called king of Israel. And as Paul speaks to them, uh, turn with me, if you, if you have your Bible, chapter 26, verses 25 through 29. Chapter 26, verses 25 through 29. This is a very interesting encounter. So you have to kind of picture Paul as a prisoner, and he's speaking to high authority, and in, um, among the authorities is um, Festus, who was the, the Roman governor. And then sitting next to uh, Festus is a pair of Jewish rulers, um, Agrippa and his sister Bernice. And so Festus has just told Paul, you're out of your mind. Chapter 26, verse 25, but Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus but I'm speaking true and rational words. So he's speaking to Festus. I'm not crazy, for the king knows about these things. So notice what's going on. He's talking to Festus and saying, and he's talking about Agrippa. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a quarter. Festus, I... The king Agrippa, he knows these things, and none of these things are a secret to him. And then, verse 27, he turns to King Agrippa. He looks at him, and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. He looks at Agrippa in the eye and says, I know you know. I know you know these things. And Agrippa I, I believe he was pierced to the heart, said to Paul, remember his grandfather killed those babies, his father killed the, killed, um, the apostle James. 
And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would do to God that not only you, but also to all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Now, here was Paul in chains, fighting for his life. And instead of trying to get on the good side of the, the, the authorities, he said what he's trying to do to Agrippa is, you need to come to repentance. You need forgiveness that can only be provided by Jesus Christ. He's, try, he's, he's witnessing to his captors. How is it that when we have these painful relationships, encounters, we, we become vindictive and angry and bitter, while Paul seems to have such a, a gracious, generous spirit, and I believe uh, the reason why Paul was able to do this is he had a gospel understanding of who he is and where he is in life, a gospel understanding. Now, let me, there are three things that I believe he believed. Number one is this, that these people need forgiveness. These people need forgiveness. Each one of these people that are deeply hurting, judging, accusing, and attacking Paul, I believe Paul looked at each person and, and Paul thought the same thing of each person. That each one of these people need forgiveness. They need Jesus Christ. In chapter 26, verse 22, as he's speaking, to this day, I have helped I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great. I'm here to, to give testimony uh, to those who are lonely and those who are far above me in this world. He saw the, the civil servant, the religious atheist, the troubled seeker, the undecided spectator, and the hesitant elder. They all need that same thing, forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The second thing that he believed in and he understood is this, what is happening is not an accident. What is happening is not an accident. Remember that turning point where, where he's going back and forth and he appeals to Caesar and uh, the governor says, okay, then you're going you're gonna to go to Caesar. And later on, Agrippa and Festus said, you know, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we, we can set him free. You know, if I was Paul, I would have this, this huge, like, oh, what have I done? This regret. But I don't believe Paul had a regret because in chapter 23, verse 21, um, 11, in the midst of all of this, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the fact about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul had said, you know, uh, before he was coming to Jerusalem, whether I'm bound, if that's what God wants me to do, I will. And if I am to die in, in Rome, that, that's what I will do. But the Lord assured him, assured him the way, in the same way that you testified uh, before me in Jerusalem, you will do so in Rome. So I don't believe Paul had a regret because he knew he was at the center of God's will. And finally, perhaps the most important is this. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am a sinner saved by grace. I can't tell you how important this is. And I can't tell you how much of this we do not believe, although we say we're Christians. Let me explain. Um, when we look at the, the, the trial of Jesus, 
and the trial of Paul, there are a lot of parallels. You know, uh, Jesus was unjustly accused, false testimonies. He was tried by a, a Jewish uh, religious uh, group and then a Roman uh, Pontius Pilate and, and a King Herod. And in the same way, uh, Paul was also tried in a similar way. Uh, they, they both were very gracious to their accuser, Jesus, uh, on the cross, saying, forgive these, uh, for they know not what they're doing, right? And so our conclusion is this. When we read these two stories, our conclusion is Paul was kind of like Christ, very good. He had a generous and forgiving heart, a magnanimous heart. He was better as a person than as accuser. That's our conclusion. Just in the same way, Jesus was the perfect man. We come to this conclusion that Paul was a better man than his accusers. Okay? That's why he was able to do so. I am, I am saying to you today that if that's how we think, that when we are unjustly accused, unjustly attacked, when people pain us, and we, we, we think to ourselves, I need to be a better person like Jesus was better, then I think we're going to get ourselves into trouble. And the reason being is this. When people hurt us deeply, uh, we begin to, our minds and our emotions begin to rationalize and say, you know, um, they are doing that, they're hurting me deeply, and it is because they're unworthy. It is because they were bad. It is because they deserve hell. And I am innocent, and I deserve heaven. When we're deeply pained by someone, the conclusion that our emotions fall to is that they deserve hell and I deserve heaven. And when we do that, we no longer operate out of grace or the gospel. We operate out of justice and vindictiveness and bitterness. Paul thought completely differently. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, This is what he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what does he say of himself? Of whom I am the foremost. Paul didn't look at these people and say, I'm better than them. That they deserve hell and I deserve heaven. But I believe Paul, looking at his life, looking at who he is, looking at his thoughts, realized, I, I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. I know me. I deserve hell. But somehow, Christ, some, for some reason, saw me and chose to save me. If God can love a sinner like me, how can I possibly think that I'm better than these people? I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time and, and our elders. We make one of two mistakes when we interact with people who hurt us deeply. One of the mistakes that we can make is that these attackers or the people with power are so much better than us, we cower, we have nothing to say. But if we believe that nothing is an accident and and every single person 
is in need of salvation and that God has called us to that, that testimony, that message, then we have courage. But, but the other mistake that we make is that we believe we're good and they're bad and if we do that, then we have no grace and mercy upon them. We just have arrogance. And the gospel dispels both and says to us that we're far worse a sinner than we can possibly admit that God loved us more than we can possibly deserve. And so we sit in this middle ground, this amazing place where the love of God is upon us. And, and, and Jesus did not want us to ever think that we deserve salvation, and the longer we're Christians, we tend to think that. And he did not want us to think that, that we have no message because the message comes not from our righteousness, but the price that Christ paid on the cross for us. And so he, he, want us to, he wanted us to remember that. So 2,000 years ago, he passed bread, passed cup, and he said to his disciples, do this often to remember me. So would you, um, um, as the band begins to play, come up, um, get the bread and the cup, would you uh, do it in a spirit of prayer and gratitude of the gospel that was given to you? If you're not a Christian yet, I would ask you to observe um, at this time. And the band will begin, and that will be your cue to, to come up. <laughs>